0: listening to the weekly podcast presented by the lighthouse midlothian for more information please visit us at www.dfwlighthouse.org thank you and god bless Course in theology right now, and he's almost done, but he just took a uh, class in preparing a message and speaking, sent me the notes, and I thought, this will preach. So I've invited him to come today, taking a break from Joshua just for today. We'll be back with Joshua next week, okay? You can read the book and find out what happens. But anyway, we want to definitely apply that to our lives and walk in victory and take all the land, take all of our inheritance, grab onto everything God has for us. Are we ready? Yes. Okay, would you welcome with me Ryan Miller. And God, we just pray your anointing and your blessing. Lord, use this message today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: Yes, Lord. this thing on? All right. Man, worship team's awesome, aren't they? Golly, I know I was touched by that. God is in the house today, amen? Amen. The message we're going to talk about today is in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, so if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you're using to look at the Bible, go ahead and turn to that now. So see me all know, um, do I got to stand in a certain spot for them to see me? Right here, okay. Some of you all know, I was in law enforcement for quite a while. Um, In December 2008, I actually interviewed. And during my interview process, I told the uh, interviewers, my lieutenant and captain at the time, that I was really interested in doing the SWAT team thing and honor guard and chasing bad guys on the street. And they said, well, hold the phone. Uh, You have to spend one year in the jail. And I'm like, man, that place stinks. I don't want to spend a year in the jail. And they said, but there's a reason. You have to learn how to work with the inmates, the people that you'll be working with, on the street. So I said, okay, I'll spend a year in the jail if it means I get to chase bad guys on the street and run real fast with lights and sirens and all the good stuff, the cool stuff. So I did. I went and got my uniform and uh, all my gear, and I went down to the correctional facility that I was supposed to work at, and I spent a year in the jail. And I remember uh, the very first time uh, I actually had to go and talk to um, an inmate in a jail cell. And I remember I had my trainer with me, and we walked down the ramp, and, uh, He's like, are you ready? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. So he pops open the door, and as soon as he popped open the door, I got this whiff. I mean, it was like nasty gym socks that you would put in your gym bag and that you would zip up, throw in the bottom of your locker. If you remember having gym as a kid, right? You did that after changing clothes. And that gym bag stayed in the bottom of your locker for probably a week or two. Anybody ever do that? I know I've done that before. And I remember, my mom's here in the audience today. thanks, Mom. But I remember... um, taking my bag home and saying, Mom, here you go. Can you wash these for me? And, man, she'd unzip the the bag, and that whiff would just come right at you. It was nasty, just musty, stinky, sweaty gym socks. But you know what? That's exactly what that smell came out of the jail cell was. It was was musty, sweaty gym sock smell. And so I remember walking in uh, and seeing the jail cell, what the inside of a jail cell looked like for the first time. It was about 10 feet by 10 feet wide. Uh, There was blue bunk beds on the left-hand side that were bolted to the floor and to the wall with long lag bolts. Um, The floors were white, the ceiling was white, and the the walls were concrete cinder blocks, beige in color. And I remember distinctly there was no toilet seat. Why, I don't know, but I just know that if you had to go, you were going in front of everybody. Uh, And on the right side, there was an 8-inch by 8-inch grate, and it was to help with air circulation. But every time I walked into a jail cell, from that one point, I always looked at this grate. And, and the inmates that were living in these rooms, if you will, they would always take paper and, and, and mold it and put it up on this grate to keep the air from circulating. And I always found that kind of funny. Some of these people were in the lowest points of their life. Some of them didn't know where to turn, but there's always hope in Christ. Um, every uh, person at some point in their faith journey will walk through a season of trial tribulation or uncertainty. In fact, with COVID going on, we are in a time of uncertainty. Presidential elections are coming up in November, so there's a lot of stuff going on. Some of you may even feel like today you're in a spiritual prison, but there is hope. All we must do is keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So if you would, go ahead and focus on your Bibles, and I will read through this scripture. We're going to go from 12 through 18, so I'm reading from the New Living Translation here. Paul says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me. They know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Thank you, Lord. It's pretty wild how Paul returns to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. He's been traveling the the roads and and preaching Christ's message of hope and salvation through the one and only Jesus Christ, who is our Messiah. And he returns to Jerusalem, and he runs into the Jewish leaders of, of the day, and he wants to go into the temple to worship the Lord. And the Jewish leader's like, well, hold on a second. You can't do that. You've been traveling in Gentile lands, and because you've been traveling in Gentile lands, you have become defiled. So for you to go into the temple now would, would be a capital offense. And Paul's like, well, hold on a second. I will I will cleanse myself. I'll go through a ritual cleansing to make sure that it's okay for me to go into the temple. And so he does. He, he goes through this ritual cleansing, and he goes into the temple. And that may have worked, but some of the Jewish leaders saw Paul with a man from Ephesus. And Eph- this man was a Christian. He was a Gentile. And his name was Trophimus. So because the Jewish leaders saw this, they said, well, hold on a second. You cleanse yourself, and that was cool. We dig that. But you, we saw you hanging out and conversing and talking about Jesus with this man from Ephesus, and yet you still went in the temple. That there in itself became a capital offense, so the Jewish leaders arrested Paul and, and put him in prison in Jerusalem. Paul sat there for two years. And he said, you know what, I'm not getting anywhere. I can't appeal my case here. As a Roman citizen, I get the opportunity to appeal, appeal my case to Caesar in, uh, in Rome. So that's what he does. So he sends Caesar a note, and he says, hey, I want to talk to you about my case. And so because of that, the Roman guard takes Paul from Jerusalem over to Rome, and they put him in his own jail cell. Now imagine sitting in a jail cell shackled to a wall, smelling that stinky gym sock smell, right, sitting in your own filth, in a jumpsuit, wherever that looks like, rats running across the floor, waiting to appeal your case to Caesar. And so Paul now finds himself in this jail cell in, in Rome, and that's where he writes this letter to the church of Philippi, uh, Philippi. So I want to just point to five different statements that the text points to. First off, we find Paul, his imprisonment. Paul, all, the whole time he's there, has this joyful perspective. But what does a joyful perspective do? Well, It allows us to focus on God and how he is using the current situation in your life and my life for his glory. And why is it important to maintain a joyful perspective when walking through these tough seasons? Well, again, I'm going to point to five different reasons here. If you have your notes, go ahead and write these down, and then we'll hit each one in order. Maintaining a joyful perspective allows God to use us to encourage others. Maintaining a joyful perspective cultivates a discipline of prayer and worship. Number three, a joyful perspective means trusting in God. Four, a joyful perspective builds a character of righteousness in your life. And lastly, maintaining that joyful perspective allows us to co-labor with Christ. Everybody with me? Awesome. Number one, let's dive into this first one. Maintaining a joyful perspective allows God to use us to encourage others. I find it interesting that this passage opens with Paul addressing the Philippians church saying it's okay dudes everything that's happened to me is, has happened to me so the kingdom of God can advance so the message of Christ can keep going forward and I found that kind of ironic like what the heck this dude's in jail for preaching the message of Christ and yet he's praising God I don't know about you but sometimes for me right. Uh, When I find myself in a sticky situation or a time of uncertainty or maybe I don't feel good, I'm like kicking rocks and like, God, why am I here? But Paul doesn't do that. First off, the church of Philippi was kind of worried because, you know, when Paul was out on the roads traveling, preaching the good news, man, the power of God would fall. People would become converted to Christianity. They were being set free of demons and delivered and healed and all this stuff was going on. It was incredible. And yet here Paul finds himself... In prison. And on the inside, he's worshiping God, but on the outside, looking in, you know, the, the church of Philippi was like, Well, what's going on? Where's the power of God now? So Paul goes on to say that it's okay. God's given me the opportunity to be used in here. Everything that has happened to, to me has happened to advance the message of Jesus Christ. He also says that the palace guard knows he is in chains because of Christ. God did not waste Paul's time in prison. Paul had the opportunity to evangelize the Praetorian Guard. So for those of you who have studied Roman history, the Praetorian Guard, they were like the Navy SEALs of their day, right? They were the ones that were assigned to protect Caesar and the whole palace. So that group of individuals were assigned to watch over Paul. And Paul got to preach to them. In fact, I have no doubt that some of those individuals were converted, You see, uncertainties are all around us. God will use them for his benefit. Paul's immediate surroundings changed, but his love and trust for God never wavered. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, For for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. God will never allow any work we do for him to go to waste. He can and will use us in any situation. You know, with all this COVID stuff, you may find yourself lonely and not being able to go anywhere. Maybe you haven't gone to the store in months. But take heart because God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So this leads me to point number two. Maintaining a joyful perspective cultivates a discipline of prayer and worship. Paul didn't necessarily know how his time in prison would be. Spent, but he knew one thing was for sure that God's ways are higher than his ways this plan will always work to benefit the kingdom Paul knew his time in prison would be spent to assist in spreading the good news about Jesus Christ no matter how that looked he could have said God why me why am I here Again, back to the kick and rock story. But he didn't. He praised and worshiped and prayed to the creator who made him and gave him the breath of life. Paul's foundational prayer or foundational discipline of prayer and worship allowed him to stand strong in the face of adversity. The response from the church in Philippi was overwhelming. What did they do? They were so emboldened that they went to the streets and preached the gospel themselves because they finally got the answer that Paul sent them earlier in the chapter. He said, be encouraged. God's using me. And because God is using him in prison, they now see how God is sustaining him. And so they were emboldened by themselves and went to the streets to preach their own message. So it gave them hope and courage. Prayer and worship is God's 911 line. It's a direct connection between us as his children and him. He loves to speak to us daily. Prayer and worship assist us in cultivating an intimate relationship with Christ. We don't perform these actions because I have to or it's lip service. I just want everybody else to see how good I am. I do it because I have the love of Jesus in my heart. (laughs) Scary. (laughs) Wake up. I had the love of Jesus in my heart, and everything that I know about Jesus and spending time with him just overflows out of that love, and that's where the intimate relationship is built. When the heart bursts with love and joy, one can't help but to praise and worship the one who gave them life. Not developing the discipline of prayer slows our spiritual growth process and makes us vulnerable to attack in times of uncertainty. We are reminded in 2 Corinthians 10:3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. On the contrary, we have the power to demolish strongholds. Ephesians 6:12 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseed world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our war is an invisible one. We fight these spiritual battles and maintain our joyful perspective through one thing and one thing only that's prayer and worship. Psalm 84 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever praising your name. We commit ourselves to ever praising God, and that way the negative assault of the enemy can't touch us. The negative assault of the enemy will turn into a spring of sweet, refreshing waters. No matter what befalls us, our valley of weeping. Will become a spring covered with blessing. When was the last time you went into your room and closed the door? When was the last time you just cried your heart to Abba, Father? When was the last time you just sat in silence and just waited on Him? Prayer and worship foster another element that is deeply rooted within relationship and assist us in uncertain times. Is everybody with me? Number three, maintaining a joyful perspective means trusting in God. God is our deliverer and he will make a way where there is no way. In verse 13, we, God gave Paul the opportunity to preach Christ to the entire palace guard. As a result, Paul gained a lot of notoriety. So again, we have people on the outside looking in at Paul, and he's in there, and, he, and, and, and they're looking at him saying, well, this dude's out of commission. He can't talk no more. Out of commission. Can't talk no more. Just saying. He can't talk no more. He, Satan put him in, in behind bars. He thinks he's got Paul whipped. But, but isn't it funny how God says, uh-uh-uh. I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk to the Praetorian guard, the most fiercest of people of that time. And so because of this, people on the outside looking in, those that were trying to preach for monetary gain, to, to build themselves up from fleshly motives, they feel like they have the ability now to do so because Paul is, in a sense, out of the way. But you see, Paul doesn't care about monetary gain. He doesn't care about any of that because all he cares about is the message of Christ as priest. that everybody in the, in the living world at the time knows who Jesus is. that's why Paul says in verse 16 that others preach with pure motives because of their love for me and they know I have appointed to defend the good news Paul trusted in God to make a way for the gospel to be preached even though he was in prison you see we never know what will happen to us in uncertain times God will deliver you and make a way Abraham trusted in God and received a nation as numerous as the stars Joseph trusted God and, well, he was used to deliver the Israelite nation from famine. Moses trusted God and the nation of Israel was delivered from the hands of Pharaoh. Samson trusted God and single-handedly defeated the Philistines. Elisha trusted God and when he was surrounded by an army, God says, there are more for you than are against you. And he was delivered from the Arameans. And lastly, Jesus Christ trusted God. Died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later, uh, delivering us and making us right with God. And I gotta remember this is here. (laughs) (laughs) You see, God is in the business of deliverance. Psalm 34, 4 says, I prayed to the Lord and He answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Psalm 34, 17 says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. So I want to ask, are you trapped? In addiction today, alcohol, pornography, smoking, whatever that looks like for you. Are you stuck in a rut spiritually? Maybe you kind of fallen off the path just enough to where you haven't really lost your way, but you feel just isolated. We'll choose today to hold on to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who heals and delivers. God will make a way again where there is no way. I got two left. Hold on. Number four, maintaining a joyful perspective builds a character of righteousness in your life. Philippians 1.11 says, A character of righteousness is the fruit of salvation produced in us by Jesus Christ. You see, righteous character is cultivated during times of uncertainty and struggles. Through worship and prayer, we learn to hold on and trust the Lord. We are united with Christ, and because of this, we have been given an inheritance Ephesians 1.11 says God chose us in advance and will make everything work out according to His plan. In Philippians one verses seventeen and eighteen, Paul is rejoicing because the message of Christ is being preached. Paul's main goal is to preach Christ and ensure all glory goes to Him. That's why he can say in eighteen, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. You know, I believe Paul in this of his ministry had displayed of character of righteousness, one that only can be received through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ himself. You know, I love to watch baseball on TV. Anybody else like to watch baseball? And it kind of stinks because with all this stuff going on, we haven't had a whole lot of baseball going on. But my favorite position, although I did play second base and pitched a little bit, I like watching the pitcher. And I like, I was always fascinated at how fast some of those guys can hurl that ball towards home plate. Some of them are in excess of 100 miles an hour. It's crazy. But they have a lot of other pitches, too, one of which is the curveball. And and when that ball comes in, it looks like a fastball. The batter takes a swing, and the umpire says, strike three, you're out. And I'm like, or, well, I've done this, too, like, what? I know I hit that ball. I didn't feel it. But here the catcher has it in his mitt. So, you know, kind of crazy. But what makes pitchers so successful? Pitchers are successful because they keep their eye on the catcher's mitt. You see, if, if they ever took their eye off the catcher's mitt as they're releasing the ball, they have the opportunity to hit the batter, throw a wild pitch, so that's no good. But they always stay focused on the catcher's mitt. You see, as Christians, we have to stay focused on who Jesus Christ is and who he's called us to be. Because if we take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on the problem, well, then all of a sudden the problem becomes bigger than the person who can fix the problem. We have to trust in the Lord. John 16, 33 says, in this world you have or will have tribulation. Now, this is Jesus talking to the disciples here. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You remember the story of David and Goliath? That's a pretty popular story. I would imagine most of us in here know the story. Well, Goliath taunted the nation of Israel for days. David shows up on scene. He was just coming to see how his brothers were doing because they were in the king's service in the army. And so his dad's like, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers, take him, take them. This stuff, food, check on them, see how they're doing. So David gets there, and he hears Goliath just running his mouth, defying the army of the army of the living God. And David, in a spiritual uproar, says, wait, who's this? Hold the phone. There's other things going on here. And so David already had previous victories in the Lord, right? He defeated a lion and a bear. And so David says, Lord, just let me at him, let me at him, let me at him. And so he's like, okay, go for it. So David rushes off and and faith, picks up five stones, faith, F-A-I-T-H, five stones. Put one in his sling and hurled it at Goliath. And where would that stone hit him? Smack dab between the eyeballs, right? David rushes up, takes his Goliath sword, chops his head off. And in one act of faith and obedience and courage, brings the Philistine army to its knees before the Lord. Amazing. We have to remember whose we are. You have to remember what God has called you to be. So when life throws you a curveball, what do you do? Do you remember who you are? Or do you go into the corner and, and sulking and in the little ball and says, don't mess with me? You have to remember who you are. Keeping our eyes on Jesus will build in us this character of righteousness. This leads me to my final point. Are you all good? I got one more. Maintaining a joyful perspective allows us to co-labor with Christ to build the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Rejoicing during tough times is hard to do, especially when things are not going your way. Remember, Paul was stuck in that nasty jail cell that smelled like stinky socks. <laughs> he was shackled to the wall. He watched rats possibly come over the floor. I think at one point, the Caesar actually gave him his own bed, and, and he had his own room. But he didn't know what was going to happen to him when he got there. But he rejoiced in every situation, knowing the gospel was going to be preached. And that's key, rejoicing in every situation. The Lord calls each one of us to do the same. He does not need our help to spread the gospel. Yet he calls each one of us by name, name excuse me, and gives us the privilege to co-labor with him. We are not promised an easy road to walk down, but we can experience kingdom life in the here and now. All we have to do is seek first the kingdom. All of you who are parents know what it's like to receive gifts from your children. Words of affirmation, hugs, just spending quiet time with them sometimes is all it it takes to fill your heart with joy. I can remember when Avery was little. And, uh, of course, she does this now still. (laughs) I walk, walk into a room when she's done playing with her friends and she has toys strung out everywhere. And I'm like, Avery, come on, pick that stuff up. Sometimes she'll help. Sometimes she'll leave it for the next day. Love you Sissy. But what have your kids done? Do, do they help when you ask to pick up things or, or do they leave and then you got to do all the work? God loves it when we co-labor with him. He's calling each and every one of you to help run this race. We have to spend time with him. It's important to maintain a joyful perspective in times of uncertainty. In Isaiah 6, 8, the Lord's asking, whom shall I send as a uh, messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Of course, if you know the story, Isaiah raised his hand and said, send me, Lord, send me, I'll go. Are you bold enough to respond like Isaiah did? Who who will go for us? Will you go where the Lord wants to take you? And, 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 And keep in mind, when you say yes to God, he says, I am. But are you bold enough to go where he wants to take you? That could be down a dark alley at midnight. Use wisdom. You got Jesus, nothing can happen, right? That could be going to Beirut. That could be going to your backyard, and talking to your neighbor, wherever he wants to take you. What do you do during times of uncertainty? When faced with a dire situation, choose today, choose today to see the situation from a kingdom perspective. Maintaining a joyful perspective will help you see the opportunities God has ordained for you to represent Christ well. A joyful perspective during uncertain times will help you to encourage others it assists you in cultivating a discipline of prayer and worship trust in God build the character of righteousness in your life and co-labor with Christ to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth Christina where are you at Christina you mind coming and playing on the piano See, Satan thought he could silence Paul. He had him in prison for preaching the good news. And I'm going to be honest with you folks. The day is coming when we very well may be put in prison for preaching the good news. But see, God is looking for leaders to stand up, to rise up above the norm. And to lead the army of God forward in faith. Preaching the message of Christ that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way except through him. Understanding whose you are and who's you, who you are, and whose you are will give you the proper perspective. Satan comes to kill, still, steal, kill, and destroy. But God, Jesus, right, came to give us an abundant life. An abundant life of joy and love and peace and prosperity and health. He wants to see us whole. Remember, each one of you are a child of the Most High God and an heir to the throne. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you have been given the authority to tread or trample, as some say, on lions and cobras. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Does not my word burn like fire, declares the Lord? Is it not a hammer that breaks rocks to pieces? Some say smashes rocks to pieces. I've heard it said that we were created to stomp hell for a living. Glory. You might be listening now and maybe over the last week you had that doctor phone that says, hey, you have COVID. Hey, you have cancer. Hey, you have this or hey, you have that. Or maybe again, you're stuck in in house and you don't know where to turn because you're just lonely. You're the only one there, but you're so afraid to go out and do anything. The spirit of fear is just so wrapped around you. It's it's like a boa constrictor is just snuffing the life out of you. There is good news, folks. Or maybe you don't know how to walk in faith. You don't know what to do. Maybe you've come to church all your life and you've never accepted Jesus. Or maybe, just maybe you're here for the first time and this is the first message that you've heard. Maybe you're like, well, what's all this faith, hope, and love stuff? Who is Jesus? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You may be feeling that tug at your heart right now. Don't ignore it. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You may not be here past tonight. And you only have one day of you who are, are walking with Jesus just ask him have I done anything that maybe I shouldn't have is there something I need to let go of in my life that maybe you don't approve of and just ask him where you can be used just ask him we are living in times of uncertainty people all over the world are spiritually hungry and looking for something to believe in Will you be that something for them to believe in? Will you go and share the message of Jesus, even if it's in your backyard? It can be a neighbor. It doesn't have to be a thousand miles away. If you have not eaten in your body tonight or if you have something going on, would you just stand? Just stand in faith. If you need financial help, just stand. If you're the one that's saying, that feels the tug of of Jesus on your heart, just stand. If you've been following Jesus all your life and you're like, you know what? I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to, to rededicate my life to you. Just stand. I'd like to close in prayer. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you, God, that that you are everything we need. And if we focus on you, we can run the race and run it well. Like Paul did. He didn't cry, woe is me. He kept focused on who you were. He ran his race well. In fact, he even saw the opportunities that you gave him because he kept that joyful perspective. Teach us, Lord, to keep this joyful perspective. Help us to build a character of righteousness, Lord God, in, in our lives by cultivating that intimate relationship with you through prayer and worship. Because it's out of love, Lord. Love conquers all evil. If you said today, that you want to accept Christ as your life, or if you just need to rededicate your life, just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I humbly come to your feet, Lord, and I surrender my life to you. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, I believe that you are the one and only true Son of God. And I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again the third day. And I believe that you were seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those who are standing, or if you're standing at home. Lord God, we just... You know the needs in their life, God. We just ask that you would touch them in Jesus' name. It has been an honor to serve you today, Lord. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.